This is a sermon from New City Presbyterian Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. To learn more about New City or to hear more sermons in this series, visit newcitycincy.org. Well, we uh, have been in a series here over the last um, couple months, actually, called Making Room. And as I said earlier uh, this morning, if you're new, uh, it's a little unusual time to to be here, but also uh, a really great time to be here. We've been talking about our church's hopes and dreams and plans for the next period of our life together. We're outgrowing our space uh, a bit, especially in terms of space for children and students, for meals and celebrations, for places to gather and to meet. And we want to be, as Dave prayed earlier, a place of hospitality. We want to welcome others. We want to welcome people in need, spiritually, materially, relationally, all of the above. But also we're making room to have useful space for others, there will be lots of groups from our neighborhood and our ministries that will make use of our space. They already do, but this new space as well for kingdom work beyond what we have dreamed up here at New City. And so we're hoping to make more room. And out in the commons, if you haven't already had a chance to check it out, there is a booth out there where you can see some drawings, you can watch a video, you can ask questions about the project. And this Sunday in particular is our Commitment Sunday. Folks will be making pledges for the way that they want to give to this effort over the next two years, December 2022 to December 2024. Again, if, we're new, if you're new this morning, we realize this is unusual a little bit, but, but I think also a great time to be here to hear a little bit about this. But as we do each week, uh, we're going to take some time to look at God's Word uh, together this morning. And today we're going to read from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and we're going to finish. We've been in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 the last few weeks, and we're going to finish chapter 9 today. I'm going to read to you verses 11 to 15. Uh, it's printed somewhere in there in your making room booklets if you've been using those the last few weeks. It's also page 968 in the Bibles in your rows, and so if you want to turn there, you can. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, I'm going to read verses 11 to 15. Paul writes, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God. For his inexpressible gift. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, we uh, do not live by bread alone, but we're told uh, that we're to live by every word that comes from your mouth. And so we ask this morning that you would make us hungry for your word and it may nourish us today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so the context for these chapters, 2 Corinthians 8. And nine is that Paul is raising money for a mission project. There had been a famine uh, in the land. The church in Jerusalem had been hit particularly hard by this famine. They were already poor, that church, and now really struggling in the midst of this. And and at the same time while that famine is going on, Paul had been planting churches across the Greco-Roman world. And as he's meeting with these churches, he's telling them about the needs back home in Jerusalem and begins to raise funds in order to send 
to the church in Jerusalem. And so the church in Corinth, they were initially very excited about this. They're all in. They pledged to give. They started to give. But then something happens and they begin to taper off. But now in our story where we're at, Paul is on his way. He's about to go to Corinth and he writes this letter to them to prepare them so that they can be ready to to give, to finish in their effort of giving uh, to the church in Jerusalem when he gets there. And Paul doesn't want them to be caught off guard when he gets there. He wants their gift to be willing. He wants their gift to be free and intentional and well thought out and prayerful, not something that he's pulling out of them in the moment. And so in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, he invites them to consider their gift. He invites them to grow in their generosity. And we've been looking at these chapters over the last four weeks. In week one, we saw Paul holding out to the Corinthians the example of a really generous church, the Macedonian church, who gave not out of their leftovers, they gave their first and their best to the Lord. They gave in the midst of tremendous difficulty on their part. Then in week two, we saw Paul spotlighting an even better example. He was spotlighting Jesus, who is the greatest giver, who became poor so that we might become rich. We've received his grace and his generosity toward us. He poured himself out toward us. And then in week three, we saw Paul paint a portrait of a church that is useful, that meets needs of those around them. We said it was a community of vulnerability community of solidarity, a community of contentment, a community of intentionality. And then last week, we saw Paul give a metaphor to help us think about money, to think about giving. Because we tend to think of whatever we give away is as something that we lose, right? That's no longer there for us. But Paul says, no, 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 it's, it's, it's more like sowing, right? A good farmer knows you can't hold on to the seeds. That's not how they become effective. That's not how they produce, but rather the uh, farmer scatters the seeds in order to reap a rich harvest. And Paul says, so when we give generously, God will use it to make a great harvest of mission. And so here we are now in the final week, the last few verses of chapter 9, which I just read to you, and the theme here is Thanksgiving, which is great because we all have Thanksgiving on the brain uh, anyway this week, right? And and I just, just so you see it in the text, again, verse 11 Paul says, you'll be enriched in every way, so you can be generous in every way, which through us will produce what? Thanksgiving to God. Verse 12, the needs of the church in Jerusalem are met. It will overflow, he says, in many thanksgivings to God. Verse 13 and 14, people will see the generosity and then they will praise God. Verse 15, Paul caps the whole thing off by saying, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. And so three things... I think we can learn in this text about giving thanks. We'll talk about the need to give thanks. Secondly, we'll talk about the reason we should give thanks. And then finally, talk about the discipline of giving thanks. The need, the reason, the discipline. So let's tackle it that way this morning. All right, so first, the need. Um, Now, I should say up front, uh, not everybody would agree with this, right? That we have a need for gratitude, a need for giving thanks. Uh, Frederick Nietzsche, for example, the German philosopher, he did not think much of this. Right? He did not think much of, of gratitude or thanksgiving as a value or a virtue. Nietzsche lumped gratitude in with humility, which he despised and which he called slave morality. 
For Nietzsche, if you, if you give thanks, you're acknowledging that things have been done for you, that they have come to you, that you didn't deserve them or earn them, that you're dependent on someone for something beyond yourself. And for Nietzsche, that's weakness. And that's weakness. Instead, he advocated for a fierce independence. Power and strength come from within, not in acknowledging grace from without. But he's wrong. He's wrong, or at least Paul would have thought so. I mean, listen to what Paul says in in Romans chapter 1. A really famous passage. Paul in Romans 1 is telling us what is wrong with the world. And in Romans 1.18, Paul says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And then Paul goes on to explain. How do they do that? How are people suppressing the truth? He's explaining this. The crescendo of his explanation comes in verse 21. How do they suppress the truth? For although they knew God... They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. What's wrong with the world? Ingratitude, Paul says. Now, I remember years ago being puzzled by this. I mean, why is Paul so upset by ingratitude? The wrath of God is being revealed against mankind. Why? Because they didn't give thanks. Is this, is this bad manners that Paul's upset by? Is it, you know, they're not polite? Is that what it's? No, no, no. Listen, it's much bigger than that. One minister explained it this way, and it made so much sense to me. He said, do you know what plagiarism is? Or intellectual property theft? That's when you take credit for something that's not yours, right? You pass something off as your idea, or your writing, or your effort, when it really doesn't belong to you. And, and, And in our society, right, it's punishable. People get in trouble for this. We take it serious. Plagiarism, at its heart, is a refusal to give thanks. A refusal to recognize indebtedness. It's a claim to self-sufficiency that isn't true. And that's not strength, despite what Nietzsche says. That's lying. To not give thanks to God, to not recognize His goodness and His provision is a kind of cosmic plagiarism. And by contrast, Robert Emmons, psychologist at the University of California, he writes this, he said, gratitude is the truest approach to life. We did not create or fashion ourselves. We did not birth ourselves. Life is about giving, receiving, and repaying. We are receptive beings, dependent on the help of others, on their gifts, and on their kindness. The Apostle Paul puts it a different way. In 1 Corinthians 4, he says, what do you have that you did not receive? What do you have that you did not receive? Gratitude is the truest approach to life. It's also good for you. A couple of years ago, the New York Times ran a story during Thanksgiving week on the latest social science Uh, on research on on gratitude. And what they concluded was that being thankful leads to, quote, increased life satisfaction, happiness, optimism, hope, positive emotion, and less anxiety and depression. Thankfulness also leads to better sleep, and some studies show less susceptibility to illness. It seems that we run best as people 
when we adopt a, a posture of gratitude. Giving thanks is good for us. But there's something even more to it. And there's something uh, noticeably absent from most of those studies because we're never told to whom we're supposed to be thankful. And this is important because you see, gratitude is always personal. We're always grateful to someone, to a person. If gratitude is not personal, it's just more, you know, uh, junk about the power of positive thinking. But, but I think you already know this, right? If someone does something good for you, you know it's not enough to just be thankful in general, right? No, you want to recognize the person in particular and say, you know, thank you, Joe, for picking me up at the airport, right? Something like that. You thank somebody specific. It's just the right thing to do. And we see that as well in our text, right? Verse 11, this generosity, Paul says, will produce thanksgiving in general? No, thanksgiving in particular to God, he says. Verse 12, it's many thanksgivings will overflow to God. Verse 15, thanks be to God. And the point being, in real gratitude, we need to recognize the one who has blessed us. And we know this in all of our relationships, right? We, we thank people when they do something for us. And that recognition can take many forms. We send cards, we write notes, we bring a bottle of wine, maybe we send flowers. Well, in the Bible, gratitude to God takes different forms too. Sometimes it takes physical forms. They built altars. They set up monuments. They made offerings. Other times they wrote prayers, they wrote songs, they listed out and recounted God's goodness, the things that he had done for them. And at other times, they show God their gratitude by their giving. That's what's happening in our story. Paul is telling the Corinthians that their gratitude should well up into a fountain of generosity. Again, the point being that gratitude is never just good feelings. It's thankfulness to someone and in particular, we're called to express our gratitude to God. Abraham Lincoln knew this. In uh, 1863, when he called for a national Thanksgiving holiday, he wasn't encouraging people to groovy vibes or just good feelings. But he was calling them in particular to give thanks to God. He wrote this. He says, the year that has been drawing towards its close has been filled with the blessings of fruitful fields and healthful skies. To these bounties which are so constantly enjoyed that we are prone to forget the source from which they come. Others have been added which are of so extraordinary nature that they cannot fail to penetrate and soften even the heart which is habitually insensible to the ever watchful providence of Almighty God. So on this day we should offer up the ascriptions justly due Him for such singular deliverances and blessings." To be a Christian is to be grateful. G.K. Chesterton said the aim of life is appreciation. There is no sense in not appreciating things. And there is no sense in having more of them if you have less appreciation of them. And hopefully this is some fuel, some fodder to help stoke your Thanksgiving celebrations later this week. But notice also specifically in our text, in 2 Corinthians 9, you know, Paul, he has this mission initiative, right? He's raising money for something for the church in Jerusalem. But raising the money and sending the relief, that's actually not his only goal. 
that he's hoping for. He's also trusting that the generosity shown in this project is going to lead to something else, that it's going to well up, that people are going to see uh, this giving, this generosity, this help, and that they're, eventually they're going to give thanks to God. I'm thinking about our situation and the Making Room Initiative. Yes, there is the, the goal of raising the money. There is the goal of adding on to the physical structure of this space so that we can make room for more ministry. Yes, that's what we're raising money for. But one of the other things that's going to happen, we're convinced as a result of this, is that there'll be many thanksgivings to God. I mean, some are going to give, maybe for the first time, or maybe in a way that they haven't done before, and they're going to experience the the scariness of that, the fear of that, but then God's going to meet them in that, and that's going to lead to thanksgivings to God. Students and children are participating in this as well, and they're going to get to see what their giving is going toward concretely, like literally concretely. They're going to see the structure rising, right? That they've been giving toward, that they've been contributing toward, that they've been giving out of allowances or doing extra work around the house or whatever it may be. They're going to see it and they're going to give thanks to God. There are going to be stories out there of how our space is used in the future, lives changed and hospitality made and connections made and the gospel proclaimed and and, and, and this is going to be uh, cause for thanksgiving. And not just by us, right? The neighborhood, other ministries, our neighbors will use this space as well. And there'll be thanksgiving to God. In fact, I, I got a, a card from a neighbor who uh, does not go to this church. And she and her husband just wrote this uh, yesterday. She said, um, we're delighted that New City is part of our neighborhood. While we remain rooted, and she talks about her other church, We appreciate the welcome that we've received at New City while attending services on occasion and at pavilion events. Our New City neighbors have become dear friends, and we feel very blessed and closed as a contribution to your Making Room Building campaign. That's an example of thanksgivings to God. And so the need for giving thanks is what we're talking about first this morning. But secondly, let's talk about the reason, right? The reason for giving thanks. And I realize there's probably a lot of reasons to give thanks, both to God and to other people. But what I'm referring to here is the reason, right? The foundational reason for giving thanks. What Paul has in mind here at the end as he caps off the chapter, verse 15, he says, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Now, when Paul says inexpressible, he means that when you think about it, it's something that just takes your breath away. When you think about it, it's something that just blows your mind, blows you away. It's a gift so great that you will never be able to exhaust every dimension of it. You'll never be able to comprehend the totality of it. You'll never be able to be done exploring the riches of it. An inexpressible gift. What Paul doesn't mean, though, is he doesn't mean there's nothing that can be said about it. Because there's lots of things the Bible says about this gift God gives us. Maybe the most famous verse about, in the Bible about God's gift, maybe the, the, the most famous verse in the Bible, period, is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Think about that verse for a second. The gift that God the Father has given to you. He gave His only begotten Son, as some translations have it. Think about what that would be like to give away 
your one and only. And if you've ever lost someone close to you, you know the shock, you know the grief of that. And here we see in that text God the Father opening himself up to that kind of hurt and pain. He gave his only son to die for you. What a gift! An inexpressible gift. Or to think about it, not through the Father's eyes, but through the eyes of the Son. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you, by His poverty, might become rich. Jesus stepped down out of heaven. He became poor through His life. He stayed poor. He was beaten and abused, mistreated and lied about, finally stripped naked and crucified. It's hard to get any more destitute than that. That's the kind of poverty that Jesus descended into, and he did it for you. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He says, in the Christian story, God comes down, down from the heights of absolute being into time and space, down into humanity, down further still, if embryologists are right, to recapitulate in the womb ancient and pre-human faces of life, down to the very roots and the seabed of the nature He has created. But He goes down to come up again and bring the whole ruined world up with Him. Lewis goes on. Or one may think of a diver, first reducing himself to nakedness, then glancing in midair, then gone with a splash, Vanished, rushing down through the green and warm water into black and cold water. Down through increasing pressure into the death-like region of ooze and slime and old decay. Then up again, back to color and light, his lungs almost bursting. Till suddenly he breaks the surface again, holding in his hands the dripping precious thing that he went down to recover. He went down to recover you. This is the inexpressible gift that Paul is talking about. And he's calling on every Christian then to give thanks. To give thanks for what God has done for you. You hear the kids downstairs singing right for Advent. They're practicing. Well, next Sunday starts uh, the first week of Advent. It also starts the new year in the Christian liturgical calendar. In the beginning of the Christian calendar, the first six months of the, the new year, we retell the story of what Jesus has done for us. We retell through our liturgy, through our songs, through our preaching, the story of what Christ has done. In Advent, we stoke our, our hearts, our longing for Christ to come. The weary world rejoices. I let every heart prepare Him room, the carol says. And then in Christmas, it's a 12-day feast, right? Celebrating that Emmanuel has come. God is with us. In Epiphany, we celebrate His life and His miracles and His teaching. In Lent, the focus is on His death and His atonement for our sins. At Easter, we rejoice that He rose again to defeat our greatest enemies, sin and Satan and death itself. The day of ascension, He goes up again. Or He goes down, rather, to come up again. And bring the whole ruined world with him. And then Pentecost equips the church with the Holy Spirit to go and tell everyone about these things. The whole year is loaded up to remind ourselves of the inexpressible gift. The reason we're here, the reason we give thanks, the reason we're making room is what Jesus has done for us. An inexpressible gift. The reason we give thanks. We talked about the need for giving thanks. The reason... 
we're to do so. And then just lastly, I want to mention this idea of giving thanks as a discipline. Henry Nouwen's quote is on the screen there. Here's what he says. He says, in the past, I always thought of gratitude as a spontaneous response to the awareness of gifts received. But now I realize that gratitude can also be lived as a discipline. The discipline of gratitude is the explicit effort to acknowledge that I am and all that I am and have is given to me as a gift of love, a gift to be celebrated with joy. Now I realize that gratitude can be lived as a discipline. Now, how do we do that? What does that look like, a discipline of gratitude? We actually started talking about this a few weeks ago. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we were talking about moving away from the myth of scarcity. Right? The myth of scarcity is that I'll never have enough, I don't have enough. And we said it's a myth because we believe that God is the creator and the sustainer of the universe, and that means everything belongs to him. He's the cattle on a thousand hills, we're told, and, and we are the people of his pasture. We are the flock under his care. And so then, of course, right, he can meet our needs. There's not scarcity with God. There's abundance. And so we talked then about how do we move away from the myth of scarcity and how do we move into what we were calling the liturgy of abundance. Liturgy of abundance is crafting for ourselves habits and practices that would form our hearts into trusting in God's provision and grace. And what are some of the aspects of that liturgy of abundance? Well, first is prayer. And if you've been around Christians ever at a meal, maybe you've seen this, right? What happens most of the time is they say grace, right, before a meal. And what is that? Well, that's part of the, the liturgy of abundance. Saying grace, praying before a meal is a way of habituating your heart to recognize that what's on the table is a function of God's goodness to you. And smack dab in the middle of the Lord's Prayer, what do we say? We say, give us this day our daily bread. And if we mean that prayer, if those aren't just words to us, give us this day our daily bread, then it's only natural then when we receive our daily bread to give thanks for it, to call attention to it. Prayer is a discipline of gratitude, part of the liturgy of abundance. And of course, we should thank God for all kinds of things, not just for our food, but that's one tangible example. So first, prayer. Secondly, right, what does it mean to, to have a discipline of giving thanks? Well, right at the center is, is the Lord's Supper. One of the names for the Lord's Supper, well, is communion. That's one, right, which points us toward this idea of sharing, this idea of intimacy, of meeting together, communion with God, communion with each other. The Greek word for that is koinonia, means sharing, having in common. But other than the Lord's Supper, other than communion, another name for it, probably the next most common name is the Eucharist. It's from the Greek word eucharistos, which means thanksgiving. Lord's Supper is a thanksgiving meal. And probably all are going to do big Thanksgiving meals on Thursday this week. But as Christians, we have a Thanksgiving meal every week at the heart of our worship service. No turkey or cranberries there, no sweet potatoes, but, but bread and wine. Meant to help us recognize that we need to feast on the gospel. And to give thanks for his grace. 
We give thanks for what Jesus has accomplished for us in the past. The bread and the wine signify his body and blood. We're giving thanks at his table for the work of redemption. But we also give thanks for his ongoing presence with us, that he still invites sinners to his table. He still meets us and feeds us and strengthens us on our journey through life. We give thanks for our hope in the future. We eat and drink as a foretaste of the great banquet that will come in the kingdom of heaven. The Lord's Supper through and through is a Thanksgiving meal, part of this discipline of Thanksgiving. But then finally, giving. Giving is also a part of the discipline of gratitude. Several years ago, in uh, Winnipeg, Manitoba, uh, a woman was going through a Tim Hortons drive-through. Tim Hortons is uh, Canadian Dunkin' Donuts, I think, something like that. Uh, I think owned by Wendy's now, right? But um, uh, breakfast place, donut place, coffee shop. And so this woman goes through and she uh, decides to pay not only for her order, but for the car uh, that's behind her in the, in the line. It's through a drive-thru. And this one act of generosity started a chain reaction that lasted for the next 260 customers. More than three hours this happened. Can you imagine being the person who like, breaks that cycle? <laughs> the employees had to be so disappointed. <laughs> you want to play for the person behind you? Nah, I'm good, you know. <laughs> a few days later... You know, news reports went out about this. A few days later, the same thing happened at a Chick-fil-A in Houston. A man paid for the car behind him. The next 67 cars, this went on. A few days after that, at a donut shop in Massachusetts, a 55-car chain of generosity. And there is something about receiving something, undeserved, unexpected maybe, that unlocks your heart to want to be generous toward others. And think about that for a second. If someone paying for a donut can create a cascade of generosity that goes on for hours and hours, the ripple effect that goes on in other places, imagine the generosity that could explode in your life. If you really knew, not just intellectually, but knew, really knew that God loved you with an everlasting love, that he paid the price to redeem your life. And to do that, it was at no small personal cost to him, but it cost him his very life. It cost him everything. What kind of generosity would that unlock in your heart? Would overflow in you? If you knew that, really knew that. Our generosity is the natural response to knowing that we have received from a God who is generous to us. It's also a positive discipline. When we give freely, regularly, intentionally, thoughtfully, we're building into our lives, habituating our hearts toward a reminder of the grace that God has given to us. And that's why Paul ends this whole appeal, this whole fundraising letter with thanksgiving. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. And I want you to keep that thought with you this morning as we think about our commitments and commitment cards. We're going to take a moment of reflection to do that this morning. Maybe you uh, brought your card with you from home. Uh, There's also some in each of the rows in front of you. I'd love for each of you to take a look at this uh, this morning. 
And as you look at the card, I want to just give you a reminder of a few things. Um, the first is just to remind you that um, what we do here, this, this really matters, not just for us as a church, but, but for us as believers, it's a, a chance to take a step of faith for many of us, right? The, uh, it's also, I want to remind you, the heart behind what we give is that what matters the most. This is a chance for us to grow as a people of faith. It's a chance for us to grow as a people on mission. It's a chance for us to grow as we desire to see God bless others through the work here at our church. And so what we do here matters this morning. The second thing just I want to make clear is um, this is uh, meant to be a pledge of your total giving to New City over the next two years. And so many of you already give to New City in some way. That's supposed to be inclusive of that. So the number that you write down is inclusive of the giving. It's not just in addition to, but the number that goes in the blue box, the total number is, is inclusive of giving that you already do and then whatever else you'd like to do during uh, making room for two years. For two years, December 2022 to December 2024. And for some, maybe this will be the first time ever giving to New City, and that's exciting. That's a wonderful time. This is a great time to, to start, and we're so glad that you're considering that. And for some of others, this is you choosing to give in a way maybe that you never, ever have before. And this is a time that could feel sacrificial. It could feel scary. We're grateful are you participating in this way, thinking about this, wrestling with this? And I believe that God will meet you in this. And the last thing, just by way of instruction here, I know I mentioned this before, and if you've seen online or whatever, um, all these other blanks uh, are not necessary to fill, for you to fill out. They're really kind of a worksheet uh, for you uh, to process and to think. There's uh, blanks for, you know, sort of writing down, well, this is what I normally give, and this may be what I want to do for expanded giving. These are stored resources. But really, the only box... Um, that we're asking uh, ultimately for you to fill out. There's the only one we're going to look at is uh, the blue box in the middle, and then, of course, your name that you put on there as well. But that, that's your total pledge of giving for the next two years. will help us to plan and to prepare as we go forward with this project. And so Brian and, and uh, Graham are going to come and play here in a minute as we take just a couple of moments to think and to prepare your card as they're doing this, as we're doing this, as we have some quiet um, some of you maybe already have your card filled out. I encourage you to use this time to, to pray and to dedicate it to the Lord during this time, to offer it up. There are others of you who know what you're going to commit, but you just haven't written it down yet. Maybe you're nervous to write it down. It makes it feel more real. Take this time to pray as well and, and then to take a step forward in faith. And, and still there are others today who have already made a commitment at our advanced commitment night on November 1st. You're welcome to fill out a card. Again, we promise we won't add them together uh, if you already turned one in. But if, if there is anything that's changed or if you just want to put another one in this morning, you're welcome to do that as well. And so I encourage you to take some time to think and to pray, and then we'll, we'll close with a, a collective prayer together. But just take uh, about three minutes. I'll keep the time and we'll fill these out. You've been listening to a sermon from New City, a church in Cincinnati, Ohio. Visit our website at newcitycincy.org for more sermons and resources. That's newcitycincy.org. Thanks for joining us today, and God bless you.